Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop, your home for Iowa State football, basketball, and recruiting talk. Here are your hosts, 24-7 Sports' Alex Halstead and the Cedar Rapids Gazette's Dylan Montz. Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halstead, joined by Dylan Montz, and we finally arrived at game week after a number of off-season episodes of the Cyclone Scoop. Iowa State is ready to face Northern Iowa, and uh, I think we've got a good preview for you coming up on this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. We're going to be joined shortly by UNI beat writer Jim Nelson from the Waterloo Courier, and I think he probably knows uh, probably more than about anybody on Northern Iowa athletics, and uh, it'd be good to kind of pick his brain on about both sides of the ball. So uh, we'll do that here in just a second, and then afterwards Dylan and I will dive in a little bit to some keys to the game and some storylines entering um, Iowa State's first week against UNI. But first, uh, here's Jim Nelson with the Waterloo Courier. We're joined now by UNI beat writer Jim Nelson from the Waterloo Courier. And uh, Jim, thanks for taking some time on uh, what I'm sure is a busy first game week for you. Hey, no problem. Uh, love talking about uh, big games in the state. And, uh, you know, this will be a big one uh, this week and the opening weekend. Yeah, I know Matt Campbell talked about that, uh, you know, to start the week that his first year he kind of realized how big these in-state games are. Um, for Iowa, you and I, uh, and Iowa State when they play each other. And uh, let's start off broadly with you. Uh, you've got probably the best uh, knowledge of, I, of you and I football. What is their outlook at, for the season as a whole uh, as they kind of get into the season uh, this week? You know, they, they, they do have some question marks up front on the offensive line, you know, and, and a couple new defensive backs. Uh, but, you know, in Lex the Valley, you know, they, they're right in the mix. I think I think them third in the Valley, I think that's an accurate pick. Uh, it's right where they should be. Uh, that you know, they'll be eight and three, uh, seven and four somewhere there. And you know, and la- you know, the Valley is an extremely tough league. It's what a lot of people will call it the SEC of the, the FCS level. Um, uh, you get through it. Last year's third place team reached the national title game. So, you know, I think they'll be right in the mix. You know, North Dakota State, South Dakota State are, are probably the easy favorites. And then I think you and I slots in right behind them. Um, uh, plenty of bounce, a lot of returners back on the Panthers, uh, you know, starting with Eli Donia. He's only got four career starts, but I think uh, he showed enough in those last four starts that uh, he's going to be something uh, pretty good at quarterback. Uh, you know, they got, uh, I think there was like eight starters back on offense altogether. And uh, I want to say eight on defense. My numbers might be off by one or two there, but right around that. So uh, they, they, they lost some key pieces, you know, like the FCS play, defensive player of the year in Carter Schultz, but I think the defensive line, was deep enough, and they had some really nice red shirts that they were registering that are going to fill in, and that I don't think they're going to have drop off really there on the defensive line. You mentioned Eli Dunn there, and uh, that's kind of a nice natural progression. Uh, you said started the last four games last year, kind of like Iowa State Jacob Park. He came in and started the last few games of the year, played primarily the last five games of the year. But now that Eli Dunn has had kind of this offseason and this fall to kind of settle in as the starting quarterback. What have you kind of seen from him, and what kinds of expectations can be placed on him as the guy this year? You know, it's going to be different than a quarterback than what, you know, Iowa State team you know, the last few years you and I. Uh, you know, Aaron Bailey was more of a running quarterback. Uh, uh, Dunn, is going to, Dunn can run, but he's uh, he's more of a drop-back style but guy. He's going to sit in the pocket. He's going to he, uh, the more act, throws a more accurate ball. Uh, and you know he's going to find he's going to spread the love around. Uh, so he's uh, one of those guys that's going to progress through his reads, and he's going to try to find the open guy. If they can protect him uh, against a, a very improved uh, Cyclone defensive line, you know he he will be able to spread the ball around because he's got multiple weapons. They like to use the running backs out of the backfield. Uh, there'll there'll be 
lot of times there'll be a couple running backs in the field. They'll split one out as a wide out, and they like using those in the short underneath routes, uh, which you guys will see. Uh, it's one of the UNI's traits there when in the passing game. So, and I think their tight ends improved with Briley Moore and uh, Elias Neeson. So, you know, Eli's going to spread the ball around a little more. He's not going to have to, you know, look at one read and take off running. Uh, he's going to progress through his reads, and the running will be his last option. So, a totally different quarterback than what you're going to see. You know, but still, again, it's just a small thing. He, uh, he, uh, last year he started a couple games and he got dinged. He missed the game with, uh, with a concussion, and then he came back and uh, started the last two games. So I mean, uh, it, you know, he's still, there's, there's some, a lot of growth still there that he has to see. And, and, and Coach Farley said we just need to get him time. We need to give him reps. We need to get him more games. And it was going to be something where I think he's going to progressively get better this year. Matt Campbell talked about with Northern Iowa, you kind of know what you're going to get. Just how they've had success. They don't make a lot of mistakes um, either side of the ball, but, you know, especially those penalties uh, offensively and, um, you know, they kind of set the foundation, he said, with running the ball. Do you think their offense will be a little bit different this year, though, because in what Iowa State will see because of no Aaron Bailey um, and maybe things change in the balance of the run-pass game? You know, I think I think you're going to see a, a little bit of a different game. They are going to throw maybe a little more, but they still are going to want to establish that run. You know, and, and they really haven't figured out who that's going to be yet. They got three guys listed back there: Javion Brownie, Marcus Waymiller, and Trevor Allen. And one thing you're going to see with Marcus Waymiller is they run a lot of wildcat with him, and he uh, he ran that pretty successful last year. So if they need to take Dunn out a couple plays, just you know to you know Kimmy Gilmore some game plan, they'll run the wildcat with Marcus Waymiller. You're going to see that. I, you know, I haven't seen it yet practice. I, I'm not giving anyway any clues yet here, but they did run it with him last year. Not saying they're, uh, I don't know if they're going to run that this year or not, but that's something they do have in their package where they're going to go to Wildcat with him, and he's one of the three running backs they want to play, uh, you know, along with, you know, Trevor Allen and J.B. on Browning. So, but they, they're still going to try to establish that run. They want to run the ball, but Eli is much more of a drop back pass, like I said, so you'll probably see more of a 50-50 mix or maybe a 55 run, 45 pass, you may, maybe a, either other way, because, but they do want to run the ball. You touched on the offensive line a little bit earlier and it kind of being revamped and redone a little bit. How have you um, heard that's changed and what have you kind of seen from that group? Because that could be kind of an interesting matchup with Iowa State's defensive line just because there's a lot of newcomers there too and there's a little bit of this sense of unknown. But what what have you seen maybe from um, Northern Iowa's offensive line so far? Well, what they've got is they've got some veterans. they got some uh, newcomers really to the lineup. You know, Lee Carhart takes over at center. Robert Rafty, who was a four-year starter. So that's the big question mark there. How is Lee going to step in and do that? He's a senior. He's played some. He's missed a year with the knee injury. Um, so he's right in there. Uh, so that's going to be the big mystery, how he handled that center position. On the tackle spots, they're really better in there. Cal Twait's going to be in his third year uh, starting. He's a junior on left side. And the right side, Bryce Sweeney missed all last year, but uh, he started 13 games as a junior two years ago. Uh, so he missed last year with a back injury. He's back at right tackle, left tackle. So I think they feel pretty good right there with the tackles. Uh, and then up in the middle, Jackson Scott Brown. We saw some action last year at left guard, on the line. He used to be at left guard. And then Jacob Appleman, I think, started um, 11 or 12 games last year at right guard. Or, or, or maybe he was at ta- he had, he took, moved over to right tackle. He took over Sweeney last year. Now he moves inside. So there's some veteran there. It's just how this uh, group going to get the mesh together. They really, you know, emphasize on that. They, they let go of their previous offensive line coach. They brought in a new fiery offensive line coach. That offensive line coach has really taken on the personality of Mike Simmons. He's a go gung ho guy, and uh, and that's what Farley wanted. He, he felt he needed a little more fiery guy in the offensive line, and, and it'll be interesting to see if they take on his personality. 
You mentioned at the top, uh, you and I losing Carter Schultz. Uh, I'm sure the whole FCS is glad he's gone. Iowa State uh, certainly is, I'm sure, too. He had two sacks last year against them, three tackles for a loss. What does his loss do to that defensive front? And, um, you know, how do they kind of replace a few of those pieces, even though they do still have Jared Farley at linebacker? You know, that's a good thing. I really think they're deep at defensive line. And here's the X factor there. A year ago, Adam Reff missed the whole year. He took a, he bought an over-counter supplement at a, a, a supplement store, had an illegal grade in it, so he was uh, suspended all last year. This is a guy Farley felt was going to be an all-conference player last year. He steps in, he's at left end, and you know Seth Thompson's at right end. So those are the two new guys in their lineup. And then they're still they're pretty veteran up in the middle of Bryce Douglas, who started last year at left tackle, and Preston Woods at right tackle. Uh, so Adam Ruff, I think, is a guy you guys want to watch, number 99. I think he's really going to be an impact player for them on the line. He's looked really outstanding in practice so far through camp. I think that I think that guy, you know, I think he could play at almost to the level. Schultz. Maybe not Carter Schultz level, but I think you're not going to see as big of dro- that big of a drop-off because he is a, he's a pretty good player. And moving back a little bit and into the defense, uh, it sounds like there's going to be kind of a rotation or, you know, decent size rotation in the secondary for you and I. And Iowa State, as people have been talking about, has this deep, tall, wide receiving core. I guess, how do you see that matchup playing out and, and your expectations maybe for settling on a rotation for that group for Northern Iowa? That's a really something they've been keeping close to the vest there at UNI, but the, with the depth chart they released yesterday with their notes, Elijah Campbell, who was their all-conference safety, he's moved to the left corner, or the one of the corners opposite Malcolm Washington. These two guys are transfers out last year, and they both played a big role. Malcolm came from Fresno State, Elijah came from Northern Illinois. They really stepped in. They were two of the UNI's best defenders last year, at least in that secondary. So I think they're, they're going to be pretty solid. There's gonna, it's still a challenge. When you have to face a team butler and, and Alan Lazard and, and Trevor Ryan, you know, it's a tough toss. And, the, and, they, and the Iowa State can run a lot more guys in pretty deep there. Uh, so, you know, the, the tallest guy that you and I have gotten that defensive back is with experience is six feet tall, and that's Malcolm Washington. He's got freakishly long arms, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know that's going to be a challenge. They're giving up five and six inches at, at, those, at those spots. How are they going to do that, you know? And then in the safety, uh, Keelan Brookins is right now is flatter than a strong safety. He's a transfer from Wisconsin. He didn't play a ton there. He's a grad transfer from Wisconsin. He didn't play a ton there, so interesting to see him. A.J. Allen also listed at uh, strong safety, but he's got the most experience. He's played a lot over the last two years. See where he fits in. If not, if not both those guys are in there, maybe they just flip one over to the free safety. You never know. Farley always is tweaking his lineup a little bit at, right up to almost game time, it seems like, every week. So uh, it'll be interesting. That's, that's, the, that's the big matchup. I think that's the big number one. How do they, how do they corral those big, tall, wide receivers? against a team that also has a really improved run game. You're going to see, you know, I think Mike Warren and uh, Montgomery are, there, are going to be, David Montgomery are going to be, you know, really have added a huge uh, element to Iowa State's offense. I think we covered both sides of the ball, so just a few more here as we wrap up. I guess Matt Campbell downplayed you and I seven new assistant coaches. He said it, the success they've had kind of feeds down from Farley and, and the fact that they've had success, you know, shows that, he can replace those guys and they can kind of continue on. Have you seen much change out of what you've seen since the new assistants have come in, or do you expect that to change you and I very much? No, you and I are still going to be you and I football. You know, power football team, they're going to be uh, defense is their forte. They're, they're going to win games playing defense. That, that's where they're really good at. That's Filey's expertise. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of good athletes over there. Uh, probably some of their best players are on that side of the ball. 
Um, and, and then an offense that can be explosive. You know, you got there's some, I think their passing game is really good. But yeah, the coaching staff I watched. There's some elements of the practice are different. You've seen uh, a few guys are more fired, a few guys are more laid back. Uh, of the new guys that got in, you know, uh, so it's going to be interesting how that mix. The big thing for them, and it's what they've been working on every scrimmage uh, they've done, is they've put different guys in the box, different guys down on the field, and they've kind of worked on the communication who's doing what, who's responsible for what, you know, and, and trying to really fine tune that leading into that first game. And they, they know they're going to face some adversity, there's probably going to be some miscommunication, but how they handle that, how they move on to the next play, uh, you know, I think they've really worked on that through this whole August to get ready. For this game with these seven news guys, and a lot of these guys, are, a lot of these guys have been here since the spring, so they're not real super new. There are a lot of more veteran guys that have been elsewhere. You know, the quarterbacks coach John Bond's been at Arkansas. He's been with at Georgia Tech. You know, with Bill Curry, and you know, these guys got some experience. Mike Simmons has been 19 year coach. You know, with offensive line, he's all him and Bond are the co offensive coordinators. So they've got a lot of experience there. Uh, so I think they've really they've taken time to really get that unit meshed together and to you know, get them with into the built in with the program. The kids get comfortable, understand their lingo, understand what they're, you know, trying to say. And what they hope is now is just when the excitement gets going, when the first starts flying, that they're, you know, they, they, they move it moves smoothly. That's, the, that's another, probably number two question is how well will they transition once it really starts flying and they got to make decisions by quickly in seconds, how, the, how is that going to operate? But I think he feels pretty comfortable. He talked about that a lot yesterday about how, uh, you know, the, they, they feel pretty comfortable about how things are going to go, who's going to do this, who's going to do that, how, how people are going to operate, whether in they're, they're in the box or whether they're on the field. There's been little pieces here that you've you've dropped about what's going to make uh, Northern Iowa successful in this game, but you and I's had plenty of success uh, in, in this series, especially the last several years. They won in 2013 when David Johnson had a phenomenal game, won last year. How how can they get it done this year? What's going to make them, um, you know, push them over the top and, and be successful in in a game that um, you know both teams are going to look kind of different from what they were last year? Well, the big thing is you know Iowa State's offense. If you saw Iowa State's offense from the start of the year last year, the end of the year, it was highly explosive at the end of the year. You and I feel they got to leave uh, probably hold them to twenty points or less, and that is a huge task, or maybe twenty five or less, and then they got to figure out how to score twenty or more themselves. So those are the two big things, and I think you know I don't think you're going to slow down Iowa State at all, you know completely. I think that offense has really evolved. Matt Campbell now they've had now they're in year two, year two, you know with Matt Campbell, they feel more comfortable. They know what they're doing when they get up there. Jacob Park has got that one. So you and I has got to be able to limit them. They can't uh, they can't get in a shootout. So that's probably the number one thing. They can't get in a shootout. They got to leave keep them around three touchdowns, 20, 21 points, and then Iowa State's got to our you and I's got to find a way you know to. To get three touchdowns on field goal, I would say you know if they were going to win, it's going to be something like 24-21, something like last year. Last year was 25-20, so and they got to create turnovers too. Uh, I think last year uh, they created a couple big turnovers late in the game that really sealed that for them. So they can't they can't get in a shoot. I don't think they want to get in a shootout. Uh, if they they got in, a, they, they're not they're not at their best if they're in a shootout. They got to be there. They're in a they're in an all-out four-quarter war where they're you know knocking going after each other. Uh, they're not really a shootout team. They're not built that way. I mean, they, they can be explosive offenses, but I think they want to keep that score in the 20 somehow. And then kind of on the flip side, and you were talking about it there, but is is success for Iowa State, does that look like uh, airing the ball out and just creating a shootout, or, or how do you kind of see what success looks like for them? I think the big thing last year is I think you and I beat them on the on the line last year, especially the offense. That offensive line was, you know, they were missing a couple of pieces that first game. 
you know, uh, and uh, Jake Campos was out, and uh, Julian Good Jones was gone in that game, and I, you know, Curtis Schultz had a field day there. So you know, if that line's improved and they can protect Park and get uh, five space for the two running backs, you know, you and I can have a tall task. So I think the big thing for Iowa State is they protect Park. They're going to score some points. And I, I think that defense is going to be improved. They got they got to handle you and I. You and I is going to be multiple. They can move the ball. They're going to try to grind it out. They got some deep reps. Jalen Ryman really came on last year as a deep threat, so they got to watch out for him. He's going to go deep. They're going to try to get him deep and get him open. Uh, he's their big, long, you know, uh, big uh, uh, deep threat. So they got to pay attention to him offensively because Dunn can deliver the ball to him if he's got time too. So the big thing is there, they got to win that offensive and defensive line battle last year, which I think you and I won. Well, that's all we've got for you. Thanks for taking so much time. I think uh, I definitely learned a lot about both sides of the ball leading up to the uh, game, and uh, we'll see you at Jack Trice this weekend. You bet. Looking forward to it. It's always a great game. So that was Jim Nelson of the Waterloo Courier, and uh, a good way to start my week, I know, because uh, you know I had done some research on Northern Iowa. You kind of knew what Eli Dunn was coming into this year, and obviously their big loss being Carter Schultz, and he touched on those early, but... Um, he dropped a lot of knowledge uh, that um, will certainly probably help me and hopefully the everyone who listened uh, has a good scouting report now as they sit in the stands or watch on TV on, on Saturday. Yeah, he really kind of walked us through. We quizzed him quite a bit, but he walked us through kind of each part of the offense and defense. And uh, there's a lot of newness to you and I, similar to Iowa State. There are some unknowns um, kind of scattered throughout the team, but think he gave a really good breakdown and always has good information um, and he's kind of inundated in that in that bubble a little bit and uh, you know is, is around that program all the time so really good stuff from him and like you said it's going to be helpful not only to us but hopefully to everybody that's listening. I think his keys to the game are probably spot on with what both sides feel you know Matt Campbell's been pretty upfront that you and I is not really going to surprise you I think like he said Eli Dunn might change their balance of run and pass a little bit but Iowa State knows they're going to try to limit penalties. They're going to try to establish the run, and they're good up front. You know, like he said, you and I won last year because they won at the, at, on both defense on both of the defensive and offensive lines. And I can't remember what Matt Campbell said after the game, but um, for some reason, at one point, I feel like in some point in the last eighteen months, he said that they that first game they just got beat up front uh, on both sides. You know, Schultz, uh, like I said, had three two sacks in that game, three tackles for a loss. Um, Jim mentioned that you know Iowa State's offensive line obviously was depleted in that game. Their defensive line is a lot bigger this year. It's just the questions of the unknown. But you know, last year when Iowa State lost 25 to 20, they had nine penalties for 89 yards. They fumbled twice and lost them both. And Joel Landing threw two interceptions. So when you turn the ball over four times against Northern Iowa, have almost 100 yards worth of penalties, you're going to get beat. But they had opportunities to win that game even with those. And so. For Iowa State, they just got to focus on cleaning up that stuff, and maybe the rest can take care of itself. Uh, even though you and I does have a lot of talent, you know, like he said, they bring in a Wisconsin grad transfer. They've got talent um, from all around the country. Yeah, they're the epitome of a culture program, and what culture does start on the offensive and defensive lines. That's what Matt Campbell and his coaching staff are trying to do right now at Iowa State, and. Mark Farley's been there as the head coach for almost two decades, so he's really got he's kind of established what you and I is all about. And he talked about it earlier in the week on his Monday press conference. And Matt Campbell mentioned it too. They know who they are. They know what they want to do. It doesn't matter if they have seven new assistants. 
they're trying to replace a bunch of guys in the interior, the offensive line, the defensive line, the secondary, wherever it is. They kind of know who they are. They know what they want to be. And it starts from the top down. And that's really kind of what it comes down to. But there are a ton of places Iowa State can clean up from last year. And it is going to be a different team. So it, it'll just kind of be interesting to see um, what this offseason did for Iowa State because we know the talk and we know – um, all the different culture type things that they did in the offseason, whether it was coming in on weekends and late nights and things like that, lifting extra. Um, everybody kind of bought into that. But now can they turn that onto the field and, and really kind of have it show up there, I think is uh, one of those unknowns that uh, you know we're all kind of waiting to see. Aaron Bailey and Northern Iowa as a full or as a, as, as a team uh, in 2016, passed for only 135 yards. I think that number will go up, like Jim said, it might be more of the 50-50 um, than, we're, than we've seen. Obviously, we don't think they have a David Johnson that we saw run all over uh, in 2013. But it'll be interesting, I think, to see that. That's going to be the one thing that Iowa State probably has to figure out is how much has their offense changed. Um, but if they focus on themselves and, and they kind of start up front um, and control you know, those trenches defensively, um, that's kind of the key, I think, for them. Uh, some notes, you know, going into the game, you know, there are some questions still out there. Will Camilo Tangamoa play? Matt Campbell said he'll be in full pads. Um, the NCAA prohibits you to go to full pads and practice until you've been at four practices. So he went um, no shell for two practices, just shells for two practices. And then this week he was going to start full pads. Um, he will be in, in pads and in uniform for the game Saturday. Best case, I, I, in my opinion, is Iowa State's up, you know, a few scores late and they can get him some reps. Uh, Matt Campbell said they want him to make sure he's ready because they don't want him to get hurt. Uh, obviously, you don't want to play him in, in critical situation if he's not ready because um, a missed gap can lead to a, a big run or, or a score. So there's obviously they're going to be tentative with it, but I don't see him playing much, if at all, against Northern Iowa, but I do think their best case for the, these first few weeks is they get leads at some point, you know, in a couple of these non-conference games where they can get them some situations late in the late in the fourth quarter or that situation. But maybe he maybe he goes out to practice, is in great shape, and and can play more than that. But for me, that's probably the expectation fans should go in with, just because it's probably not fair to Camilo to put much more on him than that until he's been here for more than a week. And Matt Campbell said he didn't come in in poor shape, but there's also a difference between being in good shape and being in football shape. You really kind of want to find the balance there and get into football shape as well as being in good shape. So I think they will take it slow. I think it's natural. And even going back to fall camp, when we talked to Eli Rashid, he said if he can come in week four, maybe potentially, because you're not uh, preserving any red shirt Camilo's already red shirted so as soon as he's ready to play I think they're going to play him and giving that that uh, game four uh, timeline I think kind of gives them a good cushion because you have the non-conference games where he can kind of maybe get his feet wet a little bit then you have the bye and come back with that Thursday night game against Texas so there's about a month or so of of him just kind of acclimating himself to the program and getting in the team and getting into that football shape where I think he can really be helped by it. But I think, um, you know, what you said was, was pretty right on. If they do build these big leads and he's uh, ready to at least get a couple snaps, I think um, they won't hesitate just so we can kind of get a little bit of a taste right now. I can't remember if it was last year or recent years. I feel like somebody, you know, got their feet wet in, in some of those early games, but um 
you know, that's kind of hopefully probably for them their ideal situation. Um, there are a couple other questions. One of them, the depth chart didn't have many changes, but the kick return spot is is TBA. We know Kane Nwangwu will not play against Northern Iowa. Matt Campbell said, don't expect him to play until they say otherwise, basically. And so I don't think he'll probably play a non-conference, and I think it's starting to trend towards him redshirting unless they get you know to the end of September and he's looking great or they really need him and want to push him through that. Um, but what that means, I think Johnny Ling is probably the guy at kick return. Uh, he's not on the depth chart, and, and maybe they want to still go through this week like Matt Campbell said. But it's everything we've heard about Johnny Lang, he's probably going to somehow get reps at running back, but it almost feels like he's going to have the same role as Kanae Nwangu did in 2016 where he'll be that kick return guy and then they'll try to find ways to use him either in the pass game or the run game with Mike Warren and David Montgomery but for as much as they've talked about him I would be shocked if he didn't play this year and then if he's going to play this year I think you have to find a role and I think kick return seems to be the role the other names they could put back there with him are probably you know Trevor Ryan they've mentioned Mike Warren before but uh, I assume if if Johnny Lane could be back there catching the ball on, on the kick return even if Trevor's back there with him He's going to be the guy. Yeah, it gives Lang a defined role because there's been a lot of a lot of discussion about Johnny Lang through uh, dating back to Big 12 Media Day and then through fall camp. But I think that's probably going to be his role. I think that's where um, you know the coaches will kind of throw him into that niche, and I think that's only going to um, make them even be more cautious with uh, Kane Nwangu. And we've seen Kane walk around the practice facility a little bit, and he looks good walking around, but with an Achilles and with the type of player he is, you're always going to be more cautious maybe than, than not. And so I think they're just going to take their time with him. And uh, I do think they'll ultimately redshirt him. I think that's probably the way to go. It balances out the classes. It gives Johnny Lang an opportunity. And they do have, um, uh, with David, Mike, and Johnny, they do have their three running backs right now. So it just is kind of – it makes sense to me. But, you know, uh, circumstances can change throughout the season we've all seen that happen before so it's going to be interesting to see kind of um, a how Lang plays and b how that affects uh, any decision on Kane, which they say can kind of happen maybe around the end of September once you get through uh, non-conference the bye week and then probably Texas since that's at the end of the month too. He Lang would be the one true freshman that would probably if you could bet on true freshman playing would be the easy one I think Another one to watch, and I don't know if it'll be Saturday or not, would be Richard Bowens. Um, I think he's right on the cusp. And then, you know, Matt Campbell's mentioned Daytron Young and Keontae Jones just because, you know, they played well in fall camp, and cornerback is a little bit easier. Corner, wide receiver, running back tend to be easier positions to play right away. I don't know if we'll see Daytron Young or Keontae Jones right away um, unless they're forced to put him in. But I think uh, Richard Bowens is probably right on that cusp. But the one other question then – that seems to be lingering is Joel Lanning and who knows how much it'll even impact games initially, but we know he's going to start at middle linebacker and play. They hope the majority of those snaps every game. Matt Campbell said, we'll see when asked. Yeah, I don't know if he was really asked, but when he brought up Joel Lanning playing offense, I guess my question would be, what would you set the over under at? And would you take the over under for how many snaps he plays offense? On Saturday, I say maybe the over/under three snaps on offense Saturday, and I would—I don't know if what I would take yet. Yeah, I—I I, I think you set the over/under low. I—I I don't for a game like that. I don't know if I really see it making sense playing him on offense. I think at least in that first game, I think you want him to be at middle linebacker. You want him to know what that feels like in a game. I don't know if you 
throw around too much offense with him and, and throw him at the H back or at the tight end at a decoy or whatever else they're, they're talking about doing with him. I think he kind of probably set him at middle linebacker and, and just let him run free there and get used to it and get comfortable there. So I guess if the over under was set at three, I'd probably take the under, but um, it, it is such a mystery. There's nobody that's really tipped their hat one way or the other, how much he'll play. Um, you know, Matt Campbell has just said it'll happen at some point, but um, you know, we, we won't know for, for a while now still. It might be tough to set the over-under week by week, too, because I think a lot of it will be situational. How much are they in the red zone against each team? And so, who they're playing, too. So, and that's the other thing is I think I could see them using him in the first few weeks because it sets you up. The more you use him in the non-conference, I think the more teams have to scout it throughout the season. You know, if you're, if you're using him different ways, you know, at H-back and you put him in a couple of times – to run at quarterback and then you throw a couple of times in those first three to four weeks. Uh, then when you get to big 12, maybe they have to kind of be honest with everything and maybe just use him as a decoy. You put him out there and you don't even use him at times. But I think to do that, to use him as a decoy, you probably have to set it up sometime somehow on film that other schools are going to see. So I don't know how strategic they'll be about that. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot going to be a lot of strategy into how they use him and if there's some gamesmanship there, but until we see him at linebacker, I don't even know if we can predict. But I assume he's go- he's going to play quarterback this year. I just it's hard to put the over under on on the staffs. But maybe I'll say push and he'll get exactly three Saturday. But I I guess it all depends, like we said, on situational football and how much are they in the red zone, how much are they inside the ten. But at the same time, do you just want to go with David Montgomery or is Joe Lanning going to be like the uh, touchdown poacher? So that'll be interesting to watch. But those are kind of the three three of the big storylines. Um, you know, Mack and Rule Alexander, they still haven't made a decision on him, but that's not a huge storyline. I think his is more – he's kind of a situational defensive guy that kind of plays in certain packages, you know, nickel and, and that sort of thing. So we'll find out about him. But those other three storylines, uh, Camilo Tangamoa, Johnny Lang, Joe Lane, are kind of the three big questions, I think, going into it when you talk about specific players. Um I guess the best way to end probably is just talk about the game a little bit. What would you say are, are the keys? I, I probably agree with Jim that if Iowa State can get into the high-scoring game, they're in, in good shape. You know, you see some of the score projections that get run through the computer systems and Iowa State scoring, you know, 35 points. If they're scoring 35 points, I think they win the game because, like Jim said, you and I can score, but that's not really what they want to do. They, they'd rather keep that game in the 20s. Yeah, they kind of try to muck it up a little bit and don't try to let those offenses kind of run free. In 2013, um, David Johnson, like we said, just kind of went off, and I think you and I won 28-20. And then uh, last year it was 25-20. to So they really kind of like it, um, you know, in the mid, sometimes upper 20s, uh, really try to keep it tight and take it into the fourth quarter. If Iowa State um, – Again, I think he was spot on. I think if they can kind of get their offensive line together and give room to David Montgomery and Mike Warren, they can project, uh, excuse me, protect Jacob Park with any sort of regularity. I think that just kind of opens up Iowa State's offense and can let it run because we know at the skill positions, Iowa State does have talent. 
and um, has the clear advantage at the wide receiver spot with all that size uh, on the outside. So it, I think that's going to be kind of the key for Iowa State is to, to score early and kind of, um, you know, like I said, just open it up. And, um, you know, that I think that's just going to kind of help them carry through the rest of the game and not to say that they'll uh, win in, in some sort of crazy blowout, but I think uh, a couple touchdowns sounds a little reasonable just because of the skills, skill position players that Iowa State has. Yeah, the shootout aspect is the, the one of the big things. I think the other big thing that we already touched on before was – the mistakes, you know, Iowa State played so sloppy last year. You could just tell it was them trying to get acclimated with a new staff, whatever it was. You know, the the nine penalties for eighty nine yards, two lost fumbles, two interceptions. You can't have all that stuff. You know, if they can even limit the penalties and and cut down, cut those turnovers in half. Obviously, they prefer to have none. But if you can just cut it down on those things, that cleans up the game just right off the bat and. Uh, they never really gotten a, a good rhythm in 2016. And uh, all eyes are going to be on, you know, what can Alan Lazard do with Jacob Park as his quarterback after what he did in four of the last five games last year? What does David Montgomery look like to start a sophomore year? Those are going to be the easy things for people to watch. But I'm going to be really interested to see the offensive and defensive line. A lot of guys playing major college football for the first time, you know, uh, Oge Udugu and um, Josh Knipfel. You know, this would be the, their first major college football games. Um, you know, Bryce Meeker has to start and has some stuff under his belt. Uh, but Robbie Garcia for him. And then the defensive line, it's most of those guys, except for, you know, Vernell Trent, J.D. Wagner, Jaquan Bailey, you know, played a good amount last year. But how do those guys handle adversity, I think, is a big thing for me because there's going to be some pride penalties. There's going to be some issues at times. But how quickly does Ray Lima and – Matt Leo and any Wazrika and all those guys adapt, you know, when they face some of these guys for the first time. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like we kind of talked about earlier with you and I, the culture starts with the offensive and defensive lines. That's what Iowa State's trying to do, and those are kind of the unknowns right now. But um, a team like you and I is a good a good first test because they aren't some sort of pushover team. They're a team that's given Iowa State trouble in the past for those reasons. So, it really kind of welcomes those guys to the season early and can at least give you an idea as much as as, as an FCS team can about what what that group can do uh, in these first few weeks and kind of before you get into Big 12. It just gives you kind of a sense on, on everything that we've heard so far, but um, just makes it more real on the field. We've talked a lot in the last several months about not necessarily this matchup in particular, but all these different questions on the defensive line and offensive line and the new players and what was it's all going to mean. And um, the next time we talk to you guys, it, we'll know, I guess, what it actually looks like. Um, we'll talk to you after the Northern Iowa game, and uh, we'll see what we have for you then about leading up to Iowa, but also what does Iowa State look like for the first time because we've heard a lot about it, and now we finally get to see it. So thanks for joining, with, joining us. Uh, hopefully you got a good scouting report, and uh, we'll talk to you after game one.